Hi everybody, I'm Greg Johnston from Stevenson Harwood. I've been based here in Singapore since 2002, focusing on all aspects of shipping and offshore finance. So today we've got a panel on alternative finance and private equity in shipping. I'll first of all just introduce the panel. Uh, to my left, we've got Nick Meir from JP Morgan, uh, Global Transportation Group, Alternative Assets. Uh, to his left, we've got Mr. Philip Clausius, founder and managing partner of Transport Capital, PTE LTD. And uh, the last panel member is Mr. Martin Hugger from the managing director of Mirborn Capital Solutions, Inc. So I think just to kick the panel off, uh, so I don't misdescribe what you actually do, if you could just spend uh, maybe one minute each explaining your respective uh, organizations, and in particular, uh, your focus on shipping, that would be great. Greg, I hate to steal your thunder, but Martin is Philip, and Philip is Martin. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I thought you were, <laughs> that's correct. Good, good. Philip, so. okay. kick off. <laughs> All right, um, Philip Clausius at Transport Capital. Uh, there's a lot of talk about um, private equity or, or, or like structures not having uh, risen to the importance that a lot of people uh, were expecting in Asia. I think that is a reflection of the global structure of the asset management industry. If you go uh, to the big pools of capital in Asia, the likes of Temasek and GIC, who allocate a substantial part of their wealth to external managers, you will see that they will allocate 80 to 90% to US asset managers for the simple reason that they have been in this business for so much longer than sort of the homegrown um, asset management companies. Now, as far as we are concerned, we have been fortunate enough to uh, been the shipping partner over the last four years of one of these uh, large, if you will, homegrown uh, asset management companies, in our case called PAG in Asia, uh, which is a $20 billion uh, multi-strategy fund. And um, we have been fairly active. Um, they have made a number of um, substantial investments in the industry, uh, both in a high-profile JV with a, with a BW group, but uh, independent of that, uh, we are currently managing 30 ships for them uh, in five separate investment vehicles uh, that we have uh, acquired over the last few years on their behalf. And um, I can say that you know, we have uh, managed uh, this exposure from them for, from A to Z. And um, all these investments are still running, have not been exited, um, but the cooperation uh, certainly has been a, a very positive one. So I, I would not say nothing has happened in Asia, but it clearly it's a fraction of what's been happening in the US, and I consider this normal, but um, as everything in Asia, it will grow and it will change over time, so we're in the right place. Okay, my name is Martin Hooker. I'm from Meerbaum Capital Solution. That is a corporation between Oak Tree Capital Management, one of the largest US private equity firms with about 100 billion under management, and uh, the Greek shipping group of Petros Papas, 
that includes um, Starbark, um, Ocean Bulk, and product shipping and trading. Um, on the Greek side, we have about 100 vessels in the water. And what we are doing is uh, we help Oak Tree to avoid the mistakes that uh, I've seen as a former banker over the last 20 years, and most of them made myself at some stage. So we provide um, Oak Tree when they consider senior funding uh, with the expertise, whether this is a good vessel, whether the vessel is maybe in a bad shape, but can come back, can be brought back, whether the vessel has uh, good commercial prospects, and uh, also what needs to be done uh, to maintain her properly over time. So we come from the shipping side and look very much at the asset. We, of course, also have a view of um, what this vessel will make in the market, so what kind of income we, we can see and what kind of OPEX uh, this client may face when operating this specific vessel. And we're also there to provide for smaller companies that don't have this huge uh, technical expertise that, that our guys have some, uh, let's say, second opinion on a vessel that they intend to buy. Um, we've been doing this now for the last two years. Um, and originally, I expected to see mostly smaller European companies uh, because the European banks have been most hit by uh, the shipping crisis and the financial crisis. Um, Interesting for me, but maybe not for surprising for more Asia-related uh, companies. We've seen also a lot of business coming out of Asia um, because uh, there seems to be a need here that traditionally was covered by uh, larger European or U.S. banks that currently is not catered for by them. So this is more or less what we do. Thank you. Liquid I mean vessels and um, not, no specialities um, and no cross-selling because we don't have the products. We leave that to Michael. And uh, we try to, to not make the mistakes uh, that banks were forced to do and especially go into the regulatory gap that we see for the more volatile side of the business. Thank you, Martin. Uh, just for the benefit of the audience, are you able to maybe touch upon how you're differentiated from Fleetscape, which I believe is also effectively sponsored by Oak Tree. Um, Tobias is counterparty focused and uh, needs a stable and visible cash flow. And we are asset driven. So we are fine to have a vessel that has a negative cash flow as long as uh, the amount we finance is um, uh, what we consider a manageable risk in relation to historical and future expected values of the vessel. Thanks. Great. My name is Nick Muir. I'm with uh, J.P. Morgan Asset Management. We're a global leader in the asset management business. We run capital uh, for our institutional clients across the traditional asset classes of equities and fixed income. We're also a leader in what we call alternative asset classes, which include real estate, infrastructure, and more importantly for this, uh, transportation assets. Uh, we've been active in the maritime space for the last nine years. We currently have a portfolio of about 88 vessels in total across tankers, containers, car carriers, uh, dry bulk, uh, as well as heavy lift as well. We invest through structures of both uh, joint venture, so investing our capital alongside the good names in the industry to help grow their businesses and bring 
gain greater scale. We also do it on a wholly owned basis as well. We have internal teams who handle both the commercial side of the business as well as technical managers that oversee our technical management companies that we invest alongside. Uh, we've been here for nine years now. We're making a strong capital commitment to the industry. Uh, we have 22 people in total across the space. Uh, and as I said, we take a long-term view and have the ability to hold assets for long terms. Uh, we can hold assets up to their full uh, economic useful life, which I think it makes us very different from what is traditional private equity. Thanks. Uh, we had some uh, pre-agreed questions, but actually, to make things interesting, I just want to pick up a point from the, the previous panel. So it was uh, raised that private equity in shipping has not worked. Uh, how would you react to that, Nicholas? I'd say uh, to Yub's comment there, as a generalization, I think that is correct. I think there's been many challenges of how private equity has entered in the industry, but I think there are uh, groups who've found the right vintage periods and found the right investments. I think in general, groups like ourselves who invested across multiple asset classes within the segments have tended to do better in the space and have found returns for our clients. Philip? <laughs> I think private equity has done as well or as poorly as all the ship owners. I mean, uh, the returns are no different. Um, and, you know, they have decided to allocate capital at a certain point in the cycle, as have ship owners. And sometimes it works out, and sometimes it doesn't work out. That's the nature of, of the cyclical game. So um, I, I think there's nothing particularly special about it. I know that uh, private equity has largely term money. So uh, there is an issue with running against a deadline at some point, which is not the case for most ship owners. But uh, you know the risk-return proposition uh, between for a private equity house and, and a traditional ship owner is 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 very very similar, if not the same. Thanks. Uh, just looking at P act P activity in, in ship in general, is it still fair to say that that's focused more on like joint venture asset plays as opposed to? houses looking to take a controlling stake in a well-established shipping company. Uh, Philip, do you want to comment on that? Um, look, uh, I think the industry generally doesn't lend itself for the big sort of buyout funds, uh, the, the, what typically is considered to be private equity who are really looking for franchise value and building a franchise and then trying to exit at some sort of multiple, um, I think shipping doesn't lend itself uh, to it. There is, you know, it's a commodity business. There's not a lot of secrets here. It's very, very hard to build franchise value. And even if you build it, to get recognized for it. So, um, <laughs> It's a commodity business. Let's not try and make it more sexy than it really is. Let, let, let me add to that. Basically, what private equity is looking for when they invest is they, they look to um, generate value. So there, there are two possibilities. Either you, you consider assets undervalued um, or at a very low point in the cycle, so where you think that the, the um, value of these assets will go up. In that case, you team up with someone whom you consider to be a, a very good expert in that industry. That's why we've seen the JV structures. Or you invest in a company um, 
because you consider the company badly managed um, and uh, you think that you know guys that can do better. We've seen that in the cruise industry in uh, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, when Apollo took a um, position in Norwegian Cruise Lines because they thought they would be doing better than the existing shareholders. And uh, looking back, uh, they have uh, had tremendous success in that. So um, I think normal shipping like a bulk company uh, you can as well buy the assets. You don't need to buy the company. I would just add to that. I think this panel is a good representation of how private equity is kind of moving into a version 2.0. You know, the first time around, you saw the big multi-strat funds come in. They saw this distress in the industry, and they came in a big way. Didn't always work out so well for them in the long run. But I think what you're seeing now is they've moved on to do the other investments that they do, and you're seeing much more specialized players who are taking longer-term views in the market, mm -hmm. I think are being more supportive of the market than you've seen in the past. Thanks. So, I mean, we saw a lot of private equity uh, come into shipping almost a decade ago. I mean, how would you describe uh, the interest levels of private equity right now, given uh, what's happened over the course of the last 10 years? Is, is activity level high? Is, is it of interest or valuation such that it's still an attractive proposition? Uh, Nick? I certainly think it's still a value proposition, I think, but uh, the views of many of the participants have changed. I th like I said before, I think many of the big groups have moved on to other asset classes where they're finding value. Their fund structures allow them to do that. They're given carte blanche to find distress and opportunity. I also think the size and scale to Phillips Point Report is not as available as it was. They used the, the back door of the shipyards in the past to gain scale. I think that's less available today. Uh, the public company side, compared to other industries, is very small in this space. There's not much scale you can gain quickly from that there. So I think, as I said before, things have really evolved now. So it's much more uh, niche size. Players are a little more dedicated, have much more knowledge and expertise uh, in the industry. So I think you'll still see some private equity coming in, more likely more joint venture type structures. Uh, but I think it'll be a much smaller scale than we've seen in the last couple of years. Uh, Philip? Yeah, look, I mean, it has its challenges, clearly. Uh, first of all, the lack of liquidity, not in terms of the sale and purchase market, but the public markets, um, which um, for all intents and purposes have been shut for a long while now. And uh, we know there is a, a whole host of companies waiting to go public, um, but the window is just not there. And meanwhile, um, these funds are sitting on these illiquid investments and are staring at these mark-to-market losses, which are really dictated by broker valuations. And then um, the funds can't lever their investments either because they're not publicly traded. Um, so it, it, it's a difficult proposition uh, for, for, for most of these um, uh, participants in the market. Uh, but then again, you know, the value proposition is still there and um, as Nicholas was saying, for those who, who can see this and who can navigate these challenges and can structure these in investments accordingly, you know, I think over a, over a decent time horizon, uh, you might be looking at, at satisfactory returns. Uh, we've seen JC Flowers uh, take over or, or be part of a, a new shareholding into a ship finance bank in HSH, and of course they've done that in the past with NIBC. Uh, do you think 
you know, looking at the difficulties of, uh, as we've discussed earlier, of, of private equity coming in and taking a controlling stake of, of shipping companies, that perhaps a more attractive proposition is to, to look at the ship finance banks, and in particular, as we've heard, you know, there's been a reduction of available finance, whether or not that's something that private equity will look at. Uh, Nick, do you want to comment on that? Yeah, I guess it's also have to look at the zebra and what its stripes do. I think, you know, J.C. Flowers, this is their business of taking over banks and, and doing that type of structure. I think the majority of this type of capital that's seen the space are coming into it that way. They like to get to the assets through the debt or just get paid back on their debt. So I think um, I don't see, you know, these type of groups. I think that's just what they do. It's a little bit less of you know, where they are in the industry of the cycle. It's just they found opportunity today within the banks. They see distress. They're hopefully buying it uh, at cents on the dollar and able to sell it at a bigger number. Uh, the question is, are they able to do that? I think there's been some challenges within the private this space is that if you can't control the asset or, or if the owners know you're not willing to take control of it, how well can you really push the price on that there? And I think that would be the question for how well they do in the long run. Yeah. Martin? Yeah. Well, um, I think a lot depends on uh, how private equity can get into a bank. If you have a view that banking long term is uh, something that's sense making, uh, I think uh, probably you will not have a view that shipping banking with the volatility that we have in the industry under Basel 3 and 4 is particularly attractive if you have mostly lending on your book. So it, it, to make a, a good return on shipping banking, you need to have the, the broad variety of other um, products that you can sell to the client. And there are only very, very few banks worldwide that actually have this variety and that can make money that justifies allocating the equity to the shipping industry. So um, buying a portfolio that has a limited period of time and uh, managing that down, trying to manage it better, uh, that's a proposition that, that from my point of view makes sense. Buying the entire company, um, if you know that a good part of it may not have a sustainable business model, is tricky. Yeah, look, I think, um, I mean... It's we, a question of price at the end of the I day. I mean, we see the headline and, and we say, you know, we see Cerberus is taking control of HSH and the natural reaction in, in trade winds and the press is they come through the back door into shipping. But yeah, let's be real. I mean, they are experienced financial institutions investors. They have done this before with other banks that are not exposed to shipping. And shipping is just one of the things that HSH is doing admittedly an important part, but mm. Christian, the, what is it of the balance sheet, 15%? Sorry, 10% of the balance sheet, so mm. there's 90% of other things going on in HSH, and you know, all of this will have, will have been priced and factored in, and then they have come to the conclusion, this is a good financial institution's investment and not shipping investment. Thanks. So just looking at the alternative financiers, Obviously, we've got Mirbon Capital Solutions here. We mentioned Fleetscape. Uh, in, this, in this part of the world, we have Clifford Capital. Uh, recently, we've seen Tiger Investments, Real Asset Management set up. I think uh, it was Michael Parker earlier said that uh, he's, maybe some of these organizations would be around for two to three years, but actually now looking at it again, maybe much longer term. Is that how you see things, Martin, that the alternative uh, finance providers are here to stay? 
Uh, well, well, first of all, I think it's important to understand that um, uh, all the alternative uh, finance providers are there to fill a gap. And uh, that means we are not here to replace NordLB or DVB or anyone else, but uh, we are here going where the banks currently don't provide funding or where they provide funding at conditions that uh, the clients don't find attractive. So uh, this is a niche setup for all the alternative finance guys. If you add up the money that, that we bring to the industry, including the big guys like Breakwater, maybe it's in total four billion. That would be high. It's less than that. And that is uh, what HSH was doing as new business in 2006 in a quarter. So uh, we, we are niche players. Uh, and uh, we're niche players as long as this niche is there. And we will, of course, strive to find alternative funding um, in a different environment from mutual funds or from funds that have lower return requirements. Uh, but at the moment, uh, the return of the funding sources and the perceived risk, uh, they, they match. And uh, so as, as boutiques, like Philip has been around for 30 years now, 20 years, right. uh, we, we'll, we'll be there. Uh, but our funding sources over the time may change. And I mean, I think it's fair to say that it's still fertile ground for, for more alternative finance providers to come into the market. I think we heard that I think it was Michael who was mentioning about the marine money uh, reduction of, of banks' uh, balance sheets in terms of uh, ship financing. I think he mentioned a number of 50 billion. And albeit we've seen the Chinese lessers come in aggressively over the last five years or so, that it's still a case that there's a funding gap. So do you expect more alternative financiers to come into this space? And if so, you know, how do they price themselves and, and, and ensure? Because you know you can do two or three good deals and then one bad deal, it can wipe you out. So what advice would you give to any uh, new finance provider coming into shipping? Can maybe start with Philip and then we can work across to Martin and Nicholas? Look, uh, you know, I don't want to give advice to, to others of how to come into this market. I would just say the opportunity is there for as long as the banks are under the regulatory pressure that they are in. So they are very busy. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, the regulator and, and their board of directors make it very hard for them to do business um, in, in this environment. So to the extent that that prevails, uh, there is definitely a place for the, the alternative providers. Will they all survive individually? Clearly not. But will they survive as a group? I think for the foreseeable future, for sure. And I'm sure uh, there are quite a few plans in the drawer amongst uh, people that are trying to bring new vehicles into the market. And I would be surprised uh, if we don't see a few new entrants um, uh, over the next months or maybe one or two years, because uh, it is obvious uh, the banks cannot do all the business that they used to do in the past. So it's potentially on the surface, it looks attractive for others to fill that void. Mm -hmm. um, I'd say um, more or less similar things, so I don't repeat all of it. Um, it, it is, uh, there, there is a, a demand there. Uh, I think the main problem for someone who comes in is to understand the industry. 
uh, when uh, we had our first trade winds uh, article out, we were flooded by people uh, that uh, rightly qualified as crooks. So uh, you've got to know your way around, otherwise you'll be ending up doing all the wrong transactions for the wrong people. And uh, that, I think, is the main entrance barrier uh, for alternative finance. They need to team up with people that know the industry very well. I think a lot of it's been said already, and I would only just agree that uh, there's a significant need in the market today, and I think those who do well in it will have to have experience to how to navigate um, the, the challenging players and the ones who don't necessarily belong in the industry. Uh, but ultimately, you know, lowest cost of capital will be an important consideration. And I think another point I think another panel mentioned before is where you know, interest rates move over time. I think they'll have a big function of how successful this strategy will be, because obviously you don't step into this position of taking higher cost of capital unless you have to. Uh, and I think the market will ultimately determine where charter rates are at and how much break-even levels uh, or difference between your break-even levels you have will be a determiner of success in such a strategy. Mm -hmm. well, uh, what, what, what we also see is people saying, okay, I have an opportunity now. I want to utilize this opportunity uh, because it's there at this very moment. Mm -hmm. I don't want to have the alternative finance capital for forever, mm -hmm. but I need like half a year to line up banking finance. And uh, this, this is what we also see. There's a price to it, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, this is, if the opportunity is big enough, it works for people. Certainly. And how do ship owners uh, tap up this new capital source? Do you see, uh, do you build relationships directly with the ship owners or do you still rely on uh, brokers or arrangers to introduce deals and, and, and relationships? Uh, could you comment on that, Nick? I think I'm not sure if I'm the best one to, to comment on that, but I think I think it really drives to if people who've had experience in the industry for a long time can really mm -hmm. find the best deals. But I'll try the other panelists here. Yeah. Uh, well, we we, we are uh, uh, say dual setup. Uh, I've I've been at a bank for a long time, so I have a good set of relationships myself. Uh, but we work very closely uh, with uh, financial advisors all over the world because our main focus is smaller guys. And for a ship owner that has five vessels, it is uh, more sense-making to have a financial advisor who knows the current financial landscape and to point him to the right source of capital rather than have a full-scale guy of the same knowledge sitting in the office and being bored. So we use financial advisors a lot uh, all over the world, and they, some bring better deals, some less good. And it's our job to, to judge that. Yeah, again, I mean, for me, this is not really uh, so relevant. We don't originate transactions so much from uh, from ship owners as as we do uh, in discussions with bank and banks and institutional investors. So that's where we focus mm -hmm. our business development, if you will. And from there, we try to develop interesting uh, investment projects. Okay, we've heard today about the regulatory change, 0.5% uh, cap on... Uh, sulfur in fuels coming up shortly, uh, a drive in the future by IMO to reduce carbon emissions uh, by about 50% by 2050. Uh, do you think this will create opportunities for alternative finance providers or perhaps uh, deter them away from the industry? Uh, of, of course, I mean, as we've heard today, what certain ship owners are going to do in terms of their strategy, in particular for 2020, is, is far from clear. Some will rely on 
gas-based fuels or look for the likes of ExxonMobil to produce new fuels that come within the cap, or there's the scrubber option. But I think in terms of you know, alternative finance providers, for example, just financing uh, uh, you know, new equipment or retrofit of a ship, how, you know, how would you go about that, and particularly from the, the security perspective? Would senior finance banks allow you to take a second mortgage on the ship, for example? Uh, Martin, have you had any discussions on this? Uh, we had discussions on scrubber financing, and um, uh, we shelved them at some stage uh, because most owners have a mortgage on the vessels. So you would, by definition, be somewhere uh, asset-wise towards the end of the chain. And on the cash flow side, um, it's difficult to snip a small portion of the cash flow to repay the scrubber financing. There is a possibility there that we see, but um, we have been reluctant because it's relatively complex for small amounts of, of money. Uh, so you don't want for one and a half million per vessel, uh, well, pay, pay almost the same money for legal fees. Sure. And I mean, just to finish off, uh, obviously, private equity is looking for a return. There's lots of industries out there. Uh, maybe, uh, Nick, you could, you could kick off. I mean, what are the industries right now which are attracting a lot of uh, private equity interest and uh, that ship, shipping has to compete with for that capital? Yeah, if you look at kind of the, the multi-strat funds, or which are traditional private equity players, but even just normal private equity, um, you know, they're looking. Energy still remains a very hot topic right now, whether it be the shale game in the U.S. Um, some of them are starting to look at more and more offshore as a potential opportunity. Um, but I think generally, uh, as well as just good corporate growth right now, I think we're in a good uh, global environment now where businesses are growing and need access to capital. Uh, that capital will change over time as some of the debt capital available through uh, excess funding by governments starts to dry up a little bit. Uh, so I think that's, that's pulling a lot of the capital right now uh, away from the space. You know, private credit's also a very hot topic right now within the industry. Uh, you're seeing a lot of groups now look to put capital into that space there. They think we're at the end of the private capital uh, cycle, uh, and they're looking to come either take a short position or um, uh, take companies they may find challenges over time. So I think those are the type of areas I think that shipping capital may have to compete with, at least from the private equity groups. Sure. Philip? I only know shipping. <laughs> Any closing remarks, Martin? No, nope, fine. <laughs> okay, I think our time's up. So thank you all for joining this panel. And I don't think we've got time for questions, but perhaps in the next interval.